0: Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Even now, Father, may your word live before us here today. May it be that sharpened sword that cuts deep. Oh, Father... Have your way with us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes it's just better to have someone else do it. You ever have one of those projects? There's a fellow in seminary that uh, had this great idea he was going to cut a doggy door, you know, into his door, and and uh, I had some tools, so I volunteered to help, and he was very, very careful, took the door down, put it on some sawhorses, and measured it out all twice, and laid it out, and drilled and cut, and oh, it looked good. And so he went to put it back on and realized he had cut the hole in the top of the door instead of the bottom. (sighs) You ever been there, friends, that even your best effort isn't enough? Hmm. Well, my friends, let's face it, we aren't always equipped to do the jobs ourselves. And this is most certainly true when it comes to our salvation. We are saved by works of righteousness. Some of you are like, wait a minute, that's not what Paul said. It is actually, just let me finish. The thing is, it's not our works of righteousness, it is the Lord Jesus. He died on our behalf. It is his righteousness, my friends, that is bestowed upon us, that is put in our account. And that's the way it ought to be, friends, because frankly, you and I don't have it. We are sinners. We still struggle with sin, and we will struggle against it, I hope, to the day we die. I just hope you're struggling against it these days. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is true. It is most certainly true about us, friends. Our work ain't enough, just not enough. And I'll give you a bit of advice. Trust in Christ because our self righteousness will always fall short no matter how good you try to be it will never be good enough and that results in an eternity away from God A place called hell trust in Jesus Now, Jesus taught about this shortfall of self-righteousness in Matthew chapter 5, specifically to the Pharisees. They are the famous no-gooders, you know, the people who who were happy to, to set the rules and tell everyone they weren't good enough. Well, look at us. We dress right. Oh, we do it the right way. You're different. You're no good. They were trusting in themselves to be righteous. And as we begin here in verse 17, what we find is that Jesus responds to their self-righteous propositions. And he tells us what the scripture actually says and what it means. And uh, here in verses 17 to 20, we see the importance of the word of God to Jesus. He says here in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. Very high view of scripture Jesus had was his very words. And so Jesus came to fulfill the Scriptures. But your response to the, script, the Scriptures, my friends, determines your reward. Look at what he says here. Jesus, very high view of the Word of God. Your view of the Word of God will determine, my friends, how you live. And how you live determines your reward. Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Very, very, very important truths, my friend. Your response to the word of God determines your reward. But note, once again, friends, self-righteousness will not even get you near heaven. Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so having mentioned the righteousness of the Pharisees here, Jesus contrasts their teaching with his. And you will notice that begins here in verse 21. Jesus begins to introduce this phrase, which he will repeat over and over again. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. High cost. Jesus, on the other hand, says sin takes place in the thoughts. You see, the Pharisees emphasize the actions. If you actually do this, that's where sin happens. Jesus says, "Wait a minute. But I say to you verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Oh, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say the sixth commandment shall not murder? It does. But that ain't the only place it talks about it. And Jesus here defining it says this. Friends, it isn't just the action, but the attitude behind it. Yeah, just having the attitude of anger. Look at that. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Because hateful thoughts lead to hateful words, my friend. Look at this. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says... You fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Why? Why? Why such a high standard? Why is it just okay if we just keep our thoughts to ourselves and be hostile inside our heart? <laughs> because what's in our heart comes out our mouth. You want to know somebody's heart, Listen to their words. It starts in the heart, my friend comes out the mouth and operates the hands. That hateful attitude towards somebody, my friend, is the very attitude that leads to murder. The fact of the matter is this, my friend. Some sin only God can see. And just because you didn't act on it doesn't mean it's not sin. Jesus just said so. That hatred just bubbling in the inside. That's the stuff that gets people thrown into hell. The stuff of the heart. The reason we do these things is because of the people we are on the inside. Why do we do good things for people? Well, sometimes it's to manipulate them in order to get what we want. And so we look good on the outside. But we're trash in the heart. And only God can see some of these things. But God sees all of it. So having mentioned the righteousness of the Pharisees, Jesus says, you're not going deep enough here. It's not just what the hands do. It's the condition of your heart. Condition of your heart. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, John writes this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There isn't any hatred in this room, is there? If there is, you better address that right quick. Now here in verse, uh, the end of verse 22 read about this, this f- saying, you fool. It's so the word where we get uh, moron. No, it's not. It's raka. It's a different word. And he says, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. And the word that Jesus uses here is the word Gehenna. You may have heard that word before. And you say, what's that all about? Is that the Greek word for hell? Well, it can be understood that way, but Gehenna was a Greek term borrowed from a literal burning dump. It was near Jerusalem where they burned all of their trash, a fire burning nonstop. Horrible, horrible place. And Jesus used this as an image of the ultimate judgment of separation from God. Hell. And so hateful thoughts, they lead to hateful words, my friend. And sin against man is sin against God. We don't often think that. Well, I did it to that guy, yeah? You sin against someone else, you sin against God. Same thing. Same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The two are inexplicably tied together. You can't do one without the other, my friends. So here in verse 23, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, well, make sure to put it on your calendar to talk to him next week. It's not what it says, my friends. Take a look at what Jesus says. He says, you leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You go make it right before you offer worship. Well, you know, I'm worshiping the Lord, though. That's a thing. No, it's not. You're doing it with the wrong heart. Go make it right. Go make it right today. Put it down. Go. To obey is far better than sacrifice, my friends. To obey is better than sacrifice. Well, you know why I didn't do this thing the way I should have done it and the time I should have done it, but I'll do something else and try and make myself look good. Don't work with the Lord, my friends. You're not fooling anyone. You're not fooling anyone. You may recall the account in 1 Samuel 15. When the Lord sent King Saul, the first king over the nation of Israel, he sent them to go and attack the Amalekites and destroy them. Every last one of them. Nothing remaining. If they have cows, you kill them. If they got sheep, you kill them. Everything. And the reason being is this. When the nation of Israel was freed from bondage in Egypt and God was bringing his people out of this land, The Amalekites saw them, that they had no military. They were simply slaves being freed, and they attacked them. It was an evil, horrible, horrible thing, and the Lord never forgot it. And so the instruction, absolutely clear. And so Saul went out to battle, and they noticed, hey, there's some nice stuff here. And he came back. And he went to Samuel and said, uh, what have you been doing? He said, oh, yeah, I did what the Lord said. Well, if that's true, why do I hear so many sheep? Oh, I was going to save those to offer to the Lord. It's okay that we kept the stuff because I'm going to give an offering to the Lord too. It's okay that I robbed my neighbor, but I put some of it in the offering plate. Who can justify such a thing? Who can justify such a thing? To obey is better than to sacrifice, my friend. You can't buy your way out of sin. You cannot. You cannot. And hear me, friends, when I say the cost is high when your sin is unconfessed. Jesus saying here in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest the accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Denaris, it's a day's labor's wage, till you have paid everything for your sin. Take care of your sin quickly. When you recognize that you have sinned, make it right then. Don't dwell on it for a little while. What shall I do about this? I have harmed my brother or my sister in Christ. You go make it right immediately. Because a sinful, sinful, sinful price is paid. A great price is paid because of your sin. Great prices paid. And so we see the importance of the word of God here. Jesus making it clear. It's more than just what other people can see, but what the Lord sees as well. Because some sin only God can see. But notice here also in verse 27, the danger. The danger. You see a sinful heart. Only begets sin. Sinful heart produces sin. That's where we need to look as at the heart, friend. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said. There it is again. You shall not commit adultery. <coughs> but Jesus has some clarification on that. Oh, I never touched her. I, no- I didn't. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. So the definition of adultery is not just the action, but the heart of the matter, the thoughts, and the desires of your heart. He has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, and great is the penalty for sin. That serious steps must be taken. Serious steps must be taken, my friend. Look at what Jesus says here. (coughs) It would be better to tear out your eye than to lust for a woman. That's what he says. Look at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Why? For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. You would be better to go home and dig it out with a spoon than to lust after a woman, my friend, because the penalty for sin is hell. Hell. Ongoing continued suffering and agony for all eternity. Hmm. Notice here in verse 30 and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I know what you're thinking here. I, I get the eye connected with loss. What's the hand got to do with it? Well, the, the word hand here, my friends, is a euphemism for male genitals. How about we say that? It's a euphemism. We've got lots of names for lots of parts of our bodies, my friends. But this is a euphemism that was used in the Old Testament in Isaiah 57.9 where the world is uh, translated nakedness. (laughs) It makes sense in this context, though, doesn't it, when we're talking about uh, adultery. If you can't control your eye, pluck it out. And if you can't control yourself, cut it off. Origin, go home, look him up. He castrated himself because of this very principle. Because he knew I should rather cut off something on myself and spend an eternity in hell because great is the price for our sin. Great is the gift of Jesus who died in our place. It's our only hope of forgiveness, my friends. Trust hard in him. Trust in him. Trust in Him. Guard your heart from sin, my friends. The cost is too high to bear. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Listen to me. The Word of God is clear. Guard your hearts. The cost of sin is great. It destroys lives. Recognize in your own life, right here and right now, that you are vulnerable. I know that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, things began to change in your life, your priorities began to transition into other things, and, and uh, you, you tried to live a certain way, and there are things you cut out of your life and said, "No, this does not honor God." And you come a long way, baby but you ain't there yet. Don't deceive yourself into think you're all that. Recognize that you are vulnerable to temptation, and practice saying no. You want another one of those? Oh, sure I do. No. You need to be able to control yourself, my friends. And if you can't say no to good things what what chance do you have at evil? Oh, evil is strong. Temptation is strong and it messes with your head and your mind and it convinces you just one won't matter. Practice saying no. And ask yourself this, what is this going to cost me? What is this going to cost? I'll tell you what, friends. You don't know. What will it cost? The cost will be great. The cross, the cost will seem unbearable. What will it cost you? And finally, remember the pain and loss that others experienced. In this matter, I think often of two men, Joshua. Joseph. <laughs> they sound similar. Joseph. Here was a slave sold and being used. And here's a a woman coming on to him. Friends, you've been there. Yeah, but I've suffered enough. I'm going to get me some. And there is Potiphar's wife saying, come and sleep with me. Come and experience the softness of time with me. Instead of all of your hard labors, come just for a moment. Think of how wonder, no, 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 how could I do this in sin against my God? You have a husband, go to him. Praise God for men who say no. And then there's a man named David. David, what a story. The shepherd, the youngest of seven brothers. Everybody looked down at him, literally, figuratively, metaphorically, however you want to look at it, friends. They saw him as nothing, but God saw his heart. And he served the Lord. Well, we got this Philistine calling out curses on my God? Oh, no. God has given me a lion and a bear. I'm going to take that guy. And God took this little guy and made him king. He says, this is the heart that longs for me. This is the kind of man I want to be king. And here's a guy writing Bible. He's writing the scriptures. I mean, he wrote like half the Psalms, you know. And you know what he does? And it makes me cry every time I think about it. Because here's a godly man that blew it. He looked over and saw Bathsheba. And he said, wow, she's pretty. And then he made a plan. Go get her. Bring her to me. Even the servants trying to warn David, they said, you mean Uriah's wife? Yeah. I'm the king. I can have whatever I want. And here is this godly man that loses everything and it cost him the life of his son. You don't know the high price of your sin and how God may discipline you and what it will cost. You remember those stories. Perhaps you know men who have been in ministry. Big congregations. Serving the Lord well. God honoring them. Yeah, but look, she's pretty. And they throw it all away and become a shame and an opportunity for unbelievers to say, See, they're just like us. No difference with these people. Guard your hearts, my friend. You know not when the tumter comes. You know not how it gets set up into a perfect situation of your frustration, and you're just willing to say, yes, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts, friends. The cost is far too great. Father, help us. Perhaps even now the Spirit of God has been pointing out some things in our life that we need to make right, that we need to run away from, that we need to stop. Oh, Father, thank you in your great mercy and your great love and grace for us that you highlight and point out our sin that we might repent. And oh, how great your forgiveness for those who run hard away from their sin. Oh, Father, help us. Help us, God, to guard our hearts, I pray, for your glory, for the good of the church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.